O come, O come, Emmanuel. This season of the year, we celebrate the first coming of Jesus. But it is a time that we wait for the second coming of Jesus. In fact, as Shane and I talked about what we wanted our worship emphasis to be uh, for this season, we settled on this phrase. Well, I settled on it, and he just agreed to it. Uh, Season of anticipation. And there was anticipation. We'll talk about this. Uh, Not next Sunday, but the Sundays after that. That the world, the Jewish world, waited for the Messiah to come. There was a sense of anticipation. We're going to see it uh, in two characters in the Gospel of Luke. You go, well, wait a second. If it's already been fulfilled, then what what are we anticipating? What are we waiting for? And we're, we're waiting for Christ to come again and to establish his ultimate kingdom and to restore all things and for salvation to come and for, for everything to be as God would intend it to be. That's, that's what we anticipate. Uh, before we look this morning at our final passage in 2 Timothy, I want to talk about missions for just a minute because missions is at the very center, particularly for us as Southern Baptists, with the Christmas season. And if we talk about the second coming of Jesus, there is one thing, there's a a number of things, but there is one thing that very clearly God says has to happen before the before Jesus will come again. What Jesus said is this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed to all the peoples of the earth and then I will come. This gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the earth to all the peoples of the earth and then I will come. So if we are anticipating the second coming of Christ, we need to be a part of what he says. Why is that? Because he wanted everybody. He wanted everybody to know before he came. And that's at the very heart of missions. Uh, When I got our uh, material for our week of prayer, which we start today, for international missions, uh, the verse was Revelation 7 9. And uh, if, if you watched my mother's memorial service, I talked about my mother living a life of purpose and passing that on, and missions was at uh, the very heart of my mother's life. And the one scripture I read at my mother's funeral. I'm getting a lot of feedback, but not from the crowd, but from the speakers. Uh, I'm going to see if I can get some feedback from the crowd. Uh, 
But our verse for our week of prayer and our emphasis for international missions this year is the very verse that I read at my mother's memorial service in Revelation 7-9. After these things I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed with white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice saying salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Do you know what God waits for someday? You know what will bring God glory more than anything else is that all the peoples of the earth will be gathered before his throne someday in eternity. And so when Jesus came and he died, he died for all people of all time. And then he commissioned his followers to take this gospel into all the world. And and it ties in directly with what we talk about today in, in Paul's life. Because Jesus encounters Paul on the road to Damascus. Paul becomes the greatest missionary of all time, not just the first century. And what did Jesus say Paul was to do? What was his purpose? He said, take this gospel into all the world, into all the peoples. And really quite a lot of, most of the early disciples were Jewish and they focused on the Jewish people. And Jesus, when he appears to him and he speaks to him, he says, no, take it to the Gentiles. Take it to all the world. And that's what, that's what Paul gave his life for. And he passes down that legacy to a young man, Timothy. And I don't want you to miss this, the big picture, as we wrap up 2 Timothy Paul is about to die, and he is handing the baton to the young man that runs behind him that he's mentored for 15 years. And he said, now, now it's your turn. You, and you realize that we stand here today with that baton of the gospel. And the question is, how are we going to run our race? What are we going to do? to take the gospel into all the world. Friends, I'm telling you, Jesus isn't coming again until we take the gospel to all the peoples of the earth. We can talk about it. We can talk about all kinds of prophecies in the Old Testament, the New Testament. We can talk about whatever we want. Quite honestly, I don't have any control over that. I do have control over the peoples of the earth. I can do something. And so I want to I say this before we... Look at our last passage in 2 Timothy. Um, Not only make much of Jesus this year during the Christmas season, but would you make sure in your home that you talk and you pray and you give that the gospel might go into all the world. And, you know, some of the things that we would normally do, we don't do in this era that we are in. Um, Could I challenge you as families that talk with your kids? Take the prayer guide. We'll we'll email it every morning. 
but you can take an actual copy. They're back in the foyer. Talk to your kids about those mission stories and those missionaries and what we're doing. And, and would you talk to your kids about giving? I know we need to teach our kids tithing, but we don't just tithe, we give above and beyond uh, the tithe. And, and missions is one of those things we give to. I don't, I don't know, do something creative. Think about it. Talk to your kids about missions. Pray with your kids about missions. We have to pass on that baton to the next generation. I live as a legacy of what God did in my mother's life as a little girl in putting missions on her heart. I, I stand here today as a part of that legacy. I have to pass that legacy on. And part of the people I pass it on to are y'all. We have to take up the baton that the gospel would go into all the world. Do something creative in your home. Could I encourage you that you give generously to our world mission offering? Because our Southern Baptist causes have taken a huge hit this year. And you know what that translates into? That the gospel does not go out because there were not resources that were given to send people out. So uh, make much of Jesus, but make much of what was much to Jesus, the one who died for us. And the one thing he gave us to do was take the gospel into all the world. And we're 2,000 years later. And obviously we're closer than we've ever been, but we're not there. Paul was in that same spirit passing on uh, a legacy to Timothy as he was about to die. And um, I have one last essential. <laughs> uh, and I, my, my perspective on 2 Timothy is that Paul writes it to Timothy to say, these are the things that are most important. These were his last words that he wrote. And you come down to the end, you go, well, what is it? <laughs> what, is it? what do we learn from his final words? What is that last thing? that Paul says to Timothy, what is he communicating? And to me, as I read it, these, there's just four verses this morning. Uh, it was about sufficient, the sufficiency of Christ. It was about living. This, this is the essential I believe that Paul was communicating to Timothy is that you have to live in the sufficiency of Christ. I think this is what he was communicating. When you come to the end of yourself, know that Christ, his strength, and his salvation are sufficient. When you come to the end of yourself, Paul testified, Jesus will be enough. Jesus' strength, his salvation, 
will be sufficient. Uh, you know, we need people in our lives that walk out in front of us. And I just, I just, I glean this message as the last words that Paul speaks to Timothy, a young man. It's like, man, I'm at the very end. And he was communicating, Jesus is enough. Jesus will be sufficient. Timothy, if you push it out to the very end, if you get to the point there's nothing left of you, and even the world's about to take your life, just know, Jesus will be sufficient. It'll be enough. And so there's a certain sense of almost uh, abandonment, of courage, just says, go for it. If you're a follower of Jesus, he's called you to do it. He's going to be enough. He's going to be sufficient. Living in the sufficiency of Christ. These were Paul's words in 2 Timothy 4, uh, 16, 17, and 18. And I'm going to save verse 22 for the end. He says, at my first offense, no one stood with me. But all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. So that the message might be preached fully through me. And that all the Gentiles might hear. Also I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. And the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. You know, when a preacher says amen, you think it's the end. And so much, he had a couple more sentences there he has to say. And then he closes his letter with another amen. And maybe if you get to the second amen with Paul or the third, you go, I think he's really done. And you'll probably know that today, too, if I eventually say amen a couple more times. One of the things I felt like Paul was teaching Timothy in this last section is that Jesus' strength would be sufficient. When you come to the end of your strength, when there is nothing left of you, then just know that Jesus' strength will be sufficient. Um, that's, that's where Paul is. I, I want us to look... At this point, just at verse 16 in the first half of verse 17, he says, At my first offense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. Everything that Paul had depended upon to prop up his life was gone. Uh, <laughs> there was nobody there. And, you know, we draw strength. And actually, it's one of the principles that he taught Timothy in our series. We need people. We need a support system. But Paul says nobody was there. Uh, Paul had no legal recourse uh, as he stands before Caesar. Caesar had declared the Christian religion to be illegal. Uh, Paul didn't have enough money. I don't know that Paul had any money. It's not like he's going to pay a bribe and he's going to get out of this. He doesn't have political connections 
to get him out of this? What I see is we come to Paul's life and there is nothing left to prop him up emotionally, physically, and any other way. He has come to the end of himself. And he describes that. He says, at my first defense. And historically what we get is he's arrested. He's brought to Rome. And there is an initial hearing before Caesar. And uh, Paul, I don't know. We'll talk about what I think he did that day. Uh, And then apparently they take him back to jail and I don't know, maybe there's going to be a decision soon. He writes this letter after the, fir- the first hearing at my first defense. Uh, but what he says is nobody stood with me. That word stood is a word that speaks of a defense attorney that would stand up and say, I want to say this on behalf of my client. I would like to plead his case. That kind of, I stood. Or a friend that would stand with you. No, I've I've got his back. I'm here for him today. I'm a witness to testimony that will exonerate my friend. I'm going to stand for him. It's that word. And Paul says no one. It's just Paul there by himself. Everyone else forsook me. It's that same word that he's used of Demas in verse 10 when he says, for Demas has forsaken me. It's the picture I get of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And when they come to arrest Jesus, they all forsook him and fled. Remember? It it strikes me the parallels between Paul's story and Jesus' story. It's very similar. Except there's one kind of kicker at the end I want you to see. Um, No one stood with him. And he he has this spirit of Jesus. Jesus who prayed when they crucified him. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Paul says that day of those that forsook him, may it not be charged against them. God, when they stand before you someday, I'm not pressing charges. I'm not going to bring it up. Lord, don't, don't charge it against them. What a beautiful perspective. But verse 17, but the Lord stood with me. Uh, when When Paul says, Lord, he's talking about Jesus. Uh, It's what, it was the title that Paul used that day he first encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus. When the bright light came and he falls to his knees, Lord. I really think when Paul writes, Lord, not only does he think Jesus, I think his mind goes back to the road to Damascus. When did he see the Lord? When did he know Jesus was Lord? Oh, I know it. Jesus, you made your point very clear that day. It marked him the rest of his life. Uh, And he says, the Lord stood with me like a defense attorney, like a witness like a friend that would stand in court with you. The Lord stood with me and strengthened me. Uh, I love this picture. When everything else in life runs out, 
And get this. When you push life to its end, there's not going to be anything left. There is going to be no strength. Everything that we depend upon for strength is, is a limited quantity. Someday it will be exhausted. Do you get this? And that's where Paul is from an earthly, physical perspective. But there is a source of strength that can never be exhausted because it comes from God. And it was a spiritual strength that Christ... And don't dismiss that. Because Paul would say that spiritual strength sustained me in that moment when there was nothing else that propped up my life. It was, it was a strength that came through Christ's spirit. I, I, I love what Paul says to the Corinthians uh, in, in 2 Corinthians 12. Uh, Jesus says to him, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength, my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and in reproaches and needs in persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Only when I come to the end of myself and everything I depend upon to prop up my life is taken away, it's only then that I find the depth of the strength of Christ. Oh, I want to say this to us today. It's true for me. I'm not hating on you today. I'm hating on me first. We arrange our lives to make sure that we have things to prop us up. And it's relationships it's material things. And uh, it makes us feel safe and secure. But do you know why we feel safe and secure? Because we have propped up our life with earthly things that make us feel, I'm okay. Do you understand what Paul, the point that Paul comes to and, and what he is teaching Timothy? I believe this is really true. You'll never really know. I'll never really know the power that Christ can give and the strength that he can give until all those things are taken out of my life. And I hate that. I don't like that. But it's only when we come to the end of ourselves that we find the strength of Christ. And as long as we have our own strength, we cannot experience Christ's strength. Um, I want to make this point. Paul goes on and says in verse 17, I want, you to, I want us to understand what he says here. 
Why does Christ strengthen him? He says in verse 17, so that the message might be preached fully through me and that all the Gentiles might hear. Hmm. I thought a little bit about that this week. <laughs> and you know what I came up with? Please understand this. Jesus doesn't strengthen me for my benefit. Jesus strengthens me for his benefit. It's not about me, it's about him. And sometimes we get this idea that, that Jesus lives to bless me. No, no, no. Jesus gave me life that I might bless him. It's not about me. I'm not the center of the universe. He is. Paul was given a mission by Christ. And Jesus, when he came to the end of himself, he poured his strength into him. Not that Paul would feel good about himself, but that Paul would complete the task, the mission, the purpose that Christ had given him years before. Do you get that? And what was the mission? The mission was that the gospel would go to all the peoples of the world. When he says the Gentiles, that the gospel, that the message might be fully preached, that, the, that all the Gentiles might hear. Gentiles, uh, I don't know why. That word literally in the Greek is the word nations. When the Jews referred to anyone that was not a Jew, they referred to them as Gentiles, the nations. Anybody else, the people groups. It, it's the word ethnic, uh, transliterated from the Greek. It means all the people groups. What was the purpose? That, this is what we talk, that's why I started talking about missions. That all the people groups of the world would, would know that the gospel would be preached unto them. That's why Jesus strengthened him that day. That he might preach the gospel that day. I think that's what he did when he stood before Caesar. Because when you see in Acts 22... In Acts 26, when Paul is brought before a group of people to make a defense for what he is saying, what he is teaching, he just preaches the gospel. This is what Jesus did for me, and this is what Jesus can do for you. It's like, that, did, that didn't really help your cause, buddy. Well, it's not about me. It's about him. Uh, I believe that Paul was teaching Timothy, when you come to the end of yourself and you have no more strength for the mission that Christ has called you to do, his testimony, well, Jesus' strength will be sufficient. But the second and last thing I want to say, just in these last verse and a half, not only his, is his strength sufficient, but his salvation is sufficient. And what I mean by that is Jesus is enough to get us home to our eternal home. He's going to get us home. When the world takes our life from us, just know it's going to be the greatest thing that ever happens to us because we get to our eternal home. And it's like we fear this, and Paul could have stood there that day and thought, man, they're about to, eh, they're about to take my life. No, no, no. You don't know the sufficiency of Christ's 
salvation. And Paul trusted in that, in that moment. It was part of what sustained him in that time. Uh, Jesus' salvation is sufficient. He says that last phrase in 17, Also, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. Um, that's either a biblical allusion to Daniel in the lion's den. Jesus delivered me. Or it is an allusion to the gladiator games of Paul's day, I think is probably what he's thinking about. When the Christians were thrown in the Colosseum among the lions and, and were killed as sport. This is what... Emperor Nero, who is the emperor at this time, was doing. And I don't, I don't want to spoil the ending of Paul's life. Well, it's, you can't spoil an ending. He was beheaded. His, the historians say that Paul was beheaded. And, but I don't know that Paul knows that at this point. He just says, I was spared from the lions. But notice he says in verse 18, he said, And the Lord will deliver me from every evil work, and preserve me. And you go, well, no, Paul says he's getting out of here. He's trusting that God's going to save him from this. Except he's already said this is not his expectation because in 4.6 he said, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure is at hand. So Paul, you go con context-wise, you go, no, Paul's not saying I'm going to get out of this. God's going to deliver me. There's a point I'm going to make. No. Not in this world he's not. But God is going to save him. And I believe that's what he's talking about. He says, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for... And I, literally the Greek says... Well, literally the Greek says for preserve, it says save. And save me for his... This is the way the Greek puts it. And save me for his kingdom... The heavenly one. It's kind of like the punchline. Because God is wanting to establish a kingdom here on earth. But Paul, like, I don't want you getting confused. Because what, do you, what did Jesus teach us to, tell you, to pray in the Lord's Prayer? Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, Old English. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. We are part of spreading the rule and the reign and the kingdom of God, yes, on this earth, but ultimately our hope is not there. And Paul was not saying, God's going to spare me of this. No. No, God is going to save me, but it will be in his kingdom, the heavenly one. And so his hope was eternal. And he says in that last phrase, to him be glory forever and ever. Uh, to him be glory forever and ever. Amen. It wasn't about Paul's glory. It was about Jesus' glory. It was about his glory forever and ever. Paul was looking towards eternity. That God would make all things right. And he would be saved. He would be preserved. He would be delivered from every evil work. God was going to make it all right in the end, but it is only in the eternal kingdom. And I, I've got to say this, and we've got to 
wind this thing down. So much of Paul's story parallels Jesus' story of his betrayal in the Garden of Gethsemane where they all forsook him. He stands before uh, the Roman authorities and the Jewish authorities and no one stands with Jesus. Jesus does not defend himself, but he speaks about a kingdom that is eternal. And then ultimately they kill Jesus. But this is where the, and Paul's about to die because in 67, uh, historically we believe that Emperor Nero had Paul beheaded in Rome. And you go, well, their stories are running parallel. Here's the kicker. This is what you got to know. Jesus didn't stay in the grave. He beat death. That's where their stories depart. And Paul is saying, and you can see this in his writings, that no, I am trusting in the one, yes, who was betrayed in the garden, was tried to not, like a lamb, he didn't open his mouth, he didn't defend himself, that they crucified him on a Roman cross, they buried him. But my Savior is the one who died, raised from the dead, and who I'm trusting in. Paul was not going to beat death. He didn't have to beat death because Jesus had already beat death. He just had to trust in the one who had already beat death. It wasn't about Paul. It wasn't about his glory. It was about Jesus' glory. Paul will not be able to save his, his own life. But here's the thing. You say, well, well, that's disappointing. But it's not about Paul. All of us will come to the place where this earthly life is going to end. No, we're not sufficient to live for eternity. But there is one who is. Christ's salvation is sufficient. And to him belongs the glory. Jesus will be able to get us home. It's not that God will glorify Paul's life or my life or your life, but that Paul's life or my life or your life will glorify Christ. And what I'm struck by as we conclude the first time that Paul ever saw Jesus was the road to Damascus in all of his glory. And he called him to take this gospel into all the world and Paul faithfully did that. And even when he came to the end of himself in a Roman prison and court Jesus was there for him, and Jesus was enough. And the day they took Paul out, and they beheaded him, his eyes closed on earth, and his eyes opened in glory. And do you know what he saw? The Lord. The same person he had seen on the road to Damascus. You see, Jesus is sufficient. Paul said, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And when he closed his eyes on earth, he opened his eyes in eternity. And the Savior, the Lord, who had met him on the road to Damascus, was there. Jesus was there. And Paul's prayer 
in verse 22. To Timothy, the young man, the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Amen. Timothy, would you, my prayer is that you would know that when you come to the end of yourself, Jesus will be sufficient. Amen? Amen. If you would stand with me this morning, and I'm going to pray to close. We have, oh, I shouldn't have had you stand, quite honestly. I'm going to have you sit down after this. We're going to have to take a quick vote on our budget. This is our time to vote on our budget. Um, and so that's just a, that's a one-minute thing. Um, today does start our week of prayer. Uh, be faithful to pray. Take this, take missions into your home and talk to your kids about it and pray with your kids and give with your kids. Um, if you are new to our church, you can uh, uh, fill out a connect card in the pew. You can uh, send us a text that you can do the same thing. If you're giving to the World Mission Offering, you can give online, you can give in our boxes, there are envelopes around, just denoted world mission offering. I just want to encourage you to give generous this year. And the last thing I would say is if you have decisions to make, uh, then I'm going to be at the front. We will have a short meeting. Uh, we'll have a short business meeting. I mean, like one minute long. And then uh, we will, um, if you're going to help with the night in Bethlehem, if you'll stick around and we'll have that, okay? Let me pray. Father, we love you today and we thank you for our time. And uh, Father, we thank you for the legacy that we live out. And Father, I pray in this Christmas season that our heart would be where your heart is. And that Father, this year and all through our lives, it would be about all the nations, all the peoples, knowing the salvation that only Jesus brings. So we pray that you'd fill our hearts with that today. We trust it to you and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.